Hey everybody, welcome to the uh, midterm review episode here, podcast, whatever this thing is. Uh, so I'm going to go through the review that you got in class on Monday. Um, now remember the midterm is going to cover three units. It's uh, The first one is the constitutional underpinnings. That's the largest chunk of your test. It's going to be about 25 questions or so. Um, unit two, the American ideologies, um, will be the smallest. I think there's 10 questions on that. And then unit three is political participation. And uh, that will be the second biggest with about 15 or so questions. So it's going to equal up to 50 questions on your, your midterm uh, for Wednesday. All right. So let's get going. Uh, the first half of the, class, of the of the review, and I think the test is set up this way too, so you don't have to go back and forth between stuff. But uh, the first part is about the uh, constitutional underpinnings. All right. So the first question just is some basic stuff there. Thomas Jefferson, Declaration of Independence and Enlightened Ideas. You've actually seen this question before, so hopefully it'll uh, be pretty simple for you. Uh, but just remember, Thomas Jefferson is going to be charged with writing the Declaration of Independence. You'll complete that task. But remember, he takes a lot of his uh, ideas and thoughts from a certain uh, enlightened thinker, and that was John Locke and the you know, his natural rights uh, that everybody's entitled to, the right to life, liberty. And Locke said property, and Jefferson will change that to the pursuit of happiness. All righty. Um, so that's uh, that's the first one there with Thomas Jefferson. We don't ever really get into Thomas Jefferson uh, in Gov with his U.S. history part with his presidency and the, and things like that, other than talking a little bit about the strict construction and stuff. But other than that, it's not not that much. All right. Question two is about James Madison and Fed 51. So, you know, keep on bringing these up. These are required documents. You had a Fed 10 question on your last test. So here's Fed 51. The question on the test is going to actually pull from the past, uh, be a passage type question where uh, you're going to have to read the, the passage of, of Fed 51 and then uh, answer uh, some questions. Okay. So remember at the heart of Fed 51, the big thing about it was the fact that it was a separation of powers. We don't want to have one person uh, with all the power. Okay. And so that's why we have our three branches and we have this, this separation of powers where we have uh, a president who can enforce the laws. We have a Congress who writes the laws and then a judicial branch who judges them. We don't want one person or one group to have all those powers. So we have the separation of powers and that comes from uh, the fed 51 stuff. So, um, that at the heart of it, that's probably the big idea to get from there. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, you're looking kind of over the stuff here. I think you'll be okay if you, if you can understand that. Uh, so, all right. Uh, all right. Next up, number three ways the constitution can change. Uh, so remember there's a couple ways that it can change. Remember there is, uh, amendments. Okay. Uh, where you get the, the national or the state legislatures, um, excuse me, the, the national legislature or the national convention, which you'd have to call a convene and something like that, or uh, the state conventions, um, or not the state conventions, but um, one of those two things could create an amendment, and then it goes to the states. I, I get ahead of myself. And then the states, uh, the state legislatures or the state conventions, can then ratify it. Uh, so it can change that way. Uh, remember, it can also change through the the, the court system, judi judicial interpretation, uh, judicial review, all those things can make uh, the Constitution change. We also have some informal things that we're not going to get into uh, today. Uh, all right. Number four, Constitutional Convention compromises. Remember, there's three big ones you got to know. You got to know the Connecticut Compromise slash Great Compromise. 
I grew up with it as the Great Compromise, so I always call it that, although it feels like there's a move to make it the Connecticut Compromise for some reason. I don't know why. But anyways, either way, as long as you know that, okay? Remember, this was going to what's going to combine the Virginia and New Jersey plans, where we have representation based on population, okay? Uh, and so the the, that, that was the Virginia plan, and the little states didn't like it, so they came up with their New Jersey plan where everything's going to be equal. And so we have to combine those two things, and that's going to be the Great Compromise eventually. And then the other one you had to know is the Three-Fifths Compromise. The Three-Fifths Compromise, remember, was about uh, slavery and the population of slaves counting, whether it should count or should not. Uh, population was going to count for two things. It was going to count for uh, representation, and it was also going to count for the amount of taxes that you paid as a state. So the South obviously wanted the uh, slave population account for representation purposes, but not for taxation purposes. And then the North was the opposite. They wanted the slave population account for taxation purposes, but not for representation purposes. So uh, they had that impasse. So the three-fifths compromise, okay, we'll count the, the three-fifths of the slaves, basically, for both those purposes. And then the last one was the uh, commerce compromise, where about the slave trade uh, the South did not want the federal government to be able to touch the slave trade. Um, obviously, the North wanted to be able to control it. And so the agreement was made, hey, the federal government will not be able to mess with the slave trade uh, for 20 years. So roughly 1808 or somewhere there is when the federal government could first begin to touch and regulate uh, that stuff. OK. Uh, all right. Five rights. Every human has a right to those are those natural rights uh, that Locke and Jefferson came up with. So the, the natural rights. Pretty simple there. Uh, number six, Federalists versus Anti-Federalists. Uh, Federalists were for the pro-strong central government. Anti-Federalists were against it. They wanted to keep the, the stronger state government. So that's the, the big um, kind of difference there between those two things. Um, so Federalists wanted a strong central government, national government, kind of what we have today. They'd be very happy with. The Anti-Federalists were more about states' rights and, and keeping the states with their uh their their powers okay all right uh moving on number seven is a republic versus a democracy okay um and we are in a republic all right that's where the government um where we okay select our representatives and then they govern and make laws the, the democracy is is us picking them all right that's the fact that we have that ability um, to, to pick our, our leadership of the, the fact that we pick them and they are going to make laws um, for us and govern for us. That is the fact that we live in a republic. Okay. Uh, number eight, separation of powers. What is each branch responsible for? Kind of just went over this a minute ago, so I'm not going to spend much time here. Uh, remember, Congress passes laws. The executive branch is going to enforce them. And then the judicial branch is going to uh, judge them. Number nine, the First Amendment freedoms give examples from court cases. So a lot of stuff here uh, to unpack. OK, so let's let's go through it. Um, so the first freedom that we'll talk about is the freedom of speech. All right. So you have the ability and the freedom to to say what you want to. We have taken this to a whole nother level nowadays with the freedom of speech is really to protect us from government retribution for saying stuff about the government. We have extended it now to say, we say all kinds of stuff uh, that we might not have gotten away with earlier. Uh, but a court case that you could reference for this one uh, might be the Texas versus Johnson case. Uh, that is the symbolic speech stuff where the flag was burnt 
Okay, so you can do that. Secondly is the freedom of religion. Remember, there's two things there. There's the Establishment Clause and there's the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment Clause says the government will not create a religion. Free Exercise says we can worship how we want to. Okay, uh, for the Establishment Clause, you can know Engel versus Vital. That's the uh, prayer in school case. And then the Free Exercise, you can know Wisconsin versus Yoder. Uh, that was the Amish case where they wanted to pull their kids out of school uh, really early on. And uh, the government agreed with them. Okay, freedom of press is the next one, uh, and that's once again it's kind of been extended very far out now uh, to what it was really initially meant to be, where it's just going to hey we're going to protect the press from uh, government retribution for things that they write. Uh, today, you know, they, there's a lot of stuff out there um, that passes for the press, blogs, and all kinds of stuff that maybe isn't really a serious journalism going on. Anyway, so uh, the case to know there would be near versus Minnesota. Uh, that's going to prevent the government from stopping a newspaper, in this case, uh, up in uh, the, the the government officials in Minnesota. Uh, I can't remember the city right now off the top of my head. But the, the, the press there was going to run a story about local officials. They stopped them. They stopped them, the, the newspaper. And so that's where the case comes from. The federal government, the courts say you can't do that. All right. Uh, the right to association. Uh, that's just where a lot to gather. And the case you can reference here is NAACP versus Alabama. Alabama wanted the NAACP to give up all the names and addresses of their members. This was during the civil right. This was before the civil rights era. So th that would not have been a good situation uh, for the NAACP and their members. Uh, so they fought it. And the, the Supreme Court agreed with them. And then the right to petition. That's not a court case to know for that one. So you don't have to worry about that. But you can come up with petitions. OK, I just saw. Oh, my gosh, there's uh, some uh, uh, a local politician here, a mayor or something like that. It's, there's they're making a move to to recall them. And I can't remember where it is in Gwinnett, but it's somewhere. They forget like four foreign signatures in order to move forward with the recall uh, of them. We can do that. You, know, you can go sign petitions. You can start a petition, things like that. All right. Number 10, uh, Articles of Confederation and its ratification. All right. Um, so the articles. Um, was the first government we had. And remember, it was not a super solid government. Um, and one of the main reasons was because it, it needed unanimous consent for, for ratification of, of anything. And I think this is kind of a poorly worded statement that I made there on the review. Uh, but just to get stuff done, you had to have unanimous consent. And that was very tough to come by uh, back when the states were really looking out for themselves. Number 11, structure of the government under the Articles. All right. So the um, um, Articles, remember, they have the, the single house of, uh, of Congress. OK, uh, there was no. Multi there wasn't a house and a Senate like we have today. Um, so there was uh, just one house you know, of Congress. Uh, and every state was equal there. OK, so little New Jersey, little Rhode Island had the same amount of power as a state like Virginia, as a state like Pennsylvania, as a state like New York. All right. Remember, there was no president. There was no executive branch. Uh, and the court systems were really kind of a, a mess. So really, if, as long as you can understand, it was just a, a single house legislature with everybody being equal. You're OK there. OK. Uh, number 12, the amendment process. I just went over that. I kind of jumbled it up a little bit. Uh, so let me clarify. Uh, you have two ways to create an amendment. Uh, the 
Congress that's in place right now up in Washington, D.C., they can submit a amendment, okay? Or we could have a national convention called and they could submit an amendment. So you've got those two things uh, that could possibly happen, all right? Uh, and then it would go to the states and either the state legislatures could ratify it or state conventions could ratify it. And you would need three-fourths uh, of those states to, to sign off on it. All right. So the main thing to understand here is it starts at the national level, either in the national legislature, so our Congress, House and Senate up, up, up in D.C., or we could convene a big national convention. We don't do this because we already have the stuff in place with our Congress. And then it can go to the states and three-fourths of them to 38 of the states have to sign off on it. Okay. Number 13, federal grants. Uh, and on the test, I think it's a uh, graph you're going to be looking at. But just remember, there's two types you need to know. There is categorical grants and there are block grants. Remember, categorical grants are the ones that come with some kind of string attached where the federal government is going to tell the states, hey, spend here or we're going to pull this money. And we get into the cross-cutting stuff where sometimes it's not going to have anything to do with it. For example, my, the best one is the whole road money being tied to the drinking age in the states. Uh, the federal government wants it at 21. They don't have a federal law for that, though, but it's up to the states. But they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to pull your money if you don't do that. So that's the category for the block grants is a little bit freer money. And they can really do what they want to, okay, uh, as far as that goes. And, and you know, all of this stuff is has to do with the fiscal federalism. Remember, that's the, the states and the federal government kind of having to work together. And one of the ways the federal government gets the states to do stuff is by giving them an allowance, basically. So say, here's the, the money, uh, and go, go do this stuff. And sometimes states ignore it, even though there is money on the board. All right, 14, U.S. versus Lopez and an older case that it had the same constitutional principle. So that's a very vague question. I'm going to look at it. Um, so first off, U.S. versus Lopez on the test, uh, there's going to be a passage from the decision, and you're going to have to answer and pull from it. Just real quick, though, uh, U.S. versus Lopez, this is the federal government wanted to come into the, the state at the state level and bring charges against a kid who brought gun to school. There, there was a national gun-free school zone. Uh, the kid got charged. The state, the federal government wanted to come in and they said, hey, Commerce Clause, we can come in because of the Commerce Clause. And uh, what you need to remember about this case is that the Supreme Court does not agree with the federal government here. They say, hey, you're overstepping your boundaries. Uh, and so you cannot be involved. All right. But most of the stuff's going to come from the passage. But there's a little bit of background. Now, the case that it's similar to is the Gibbons versus Ogden case uh, from back in the day. All right. Uh, I remember that was the steamboat case where they both had charters from the New York and one from uh, New Jersey to be the only steamboat operators on the, the Hudson River. And the court said, no, the only people that can do that is the federal government. Okay. Uh, 20 or uh, 15, excuse me, article. Uh, what is that? Six of the constitution. Um, that's um, the one that says basically really simple federal law is supreme over the state laws. Uh, Okay, 16, full faith and credit, privileges and immunities, and extradition. Let's start with the easiest one, uh, and that is you know, if you're charged with one crime in one state and you get caught in another, you'll be extradited to the other. All right, full faith and credit, privileges and immunities. 
basically, the, the rules and the laws that we pass are going to be kind of honored in other states. Uh, full faith and credit. Um, you're going to, I, I talked about how my marriage was, and I had a first one in Florida, and then I moved it to Georgia. I didn't have to get remarried, which is honored. And then I got divorced here in Georgia. I didn't have to go back down to Florida and doesn't do anything. I just, it was honored. All right. Privileges and immunities. Think driver's licenses. You don't have to get a new driver's license when you go somewhere. Uh, you just go with what you got. All right. Uh, 17 federal mandates. Remember, federal mandates, that is when Congress passes some kind of law and they kind of tell the states, hey, you're going to do this, uh, whether it's enforce it, whether it is uh, enacting it, whatever it might be. The mandate is when they're going to have to do that. Uh, 18, citizens versus United. Uh, excuse me, Citizens United versus FEC. We've done a little bit with this case. So hopefully you, ha you have some uh we remember it a little bit, and I don't spend too much on this. is campaign finance, um, and uh, I think on the test there's a, a political cartoon you have to end up uh, going uh, going through. But uh, remember, Citizens United versus uh, FEC. This deals deals with big businesses, big corporations spending money uh, in politics and donating to groups and, and things like that. Right, and the the, the court said that they are allowed to do that. All right. So that is free speech. Remember, that's kind of at the heart of that case is freedom of speech. Uh, social media and campaigns. Uh, remember, number 19, that um, social media has really made it easier for uh, candidates to really kind of individualize their campaign and also kind of tailor it to the different groups they want to wherever they go on social media. Uh, they can try and go after the younger voters, the older voters, wherever it might be. Okay, uh, and it's also a lot of free advertising. Uh, the, you had something on the quiz and the test about Donald Trump in the media and the social media, and how he got some kind of an insane amount of free advertising by using social media. Uh, Twenty. How interest groups gain influence? Uh, remember, interest groups they are going to spend their way to the influence, and they do that through donations uh, to Congress. Okay, to congressmen. Uh, they'll also donate some stuff to the president, but the, the main influence they're looking to gain is over congressmen and specifically congressmen on specific committees that are going to help them. OK. Um, and, you know, the fear sometimes is that these big interest groups, the ones that have tons of money and can spend and spend and spend, are going to have more influence than just regular old, you know, Joe Blow citizens, because you know, I can't donate a ton of money to a, a congressman. Um, I don't have that kind of influence, obviously. Uh, and that kind of money. But a big corporation, big interest group can come in and do that. So there's the fear. Uh, 21, political parties versus interest groups on the test. You've seen this type of question before. It's the table question where you're going to have political parties on one side uh, and interest groups on the other. And you just got to match up uh, where they uh, are alike. OK, and where the, the, the two the two rows of the um, are, are true statements. Uh, the main thing to remember about political parties, they want to control the government by running candidates and winning elections. Uh, interest groups, they want to influence uh, the policies. They don't want to control it. They're not looking to get uh, people elected, but they want to uh, have congressmen that they can, confide, they can go talk to and discuss things with and get things for them if they need to. Okay. Uh, 22, roles of the political parties. Uh, remember, we said they they have four things they really kind of try and do. They the main thing they're they're going to do is win elections. 
All right. That's at the end of the day, that is their number one goal is to win elections. Uh, number two is to work on the campaign, support their candidate. Uh, and this is in the order after the winning of elections. Three, uh, they want to uh, find candidates. OK, uh, so they're looking, always looking for people who can run uh, in elections who might be popular and win, 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 win spots. And then they're also going to support their candidates through campaigning and finances and things like that. All right, 23, the Iron Triangle. Uh, I feel like we've done a pretty decent amount with this. Hopefully you, you have an understanding of the Iron Triangle. Remember, this is made up of the interest groups. This is made up of the congressional committees and the federal agencies uh, that deal with whatever policies are being created. Okay, And there's just this relationship that they have where they, it's not a relationship where they have to be with each other and they have to, you know, if congressional committees don't exist, then... Um, federal agencies can't exist and things like that. Uh, it's not like that, but it is the working of the working together. You know, the committees control the agency's budget. The agencies enforce the policies the committees come up with. The interest groups are going to watch the committees uh, and any legislation that goes in there, and they're going to try and influence that stuff, whether it's positive or negative, uh, for them and their their issue. Um, they're going to watch the federal agencies to make sure that the stuff's being done correctly, being enforced correctly. The policies are. Uh, 24, media and citizens demand for information. We want to know stuff, okay? Um, and so this constant demand has led for an increase in, you know, basically media being, the news cycle being day uh, 24 hours, okay? Um, you can go to CNN at any time of day and there's stuff on there. Fox News always running stories. You go to the Twitter accounts of these people, the CNN stuff, the, the Fox News, the MSNBC, and all those things—they're constantly going. So that's that—that's that, what that is getting at. All right, twenty-five perspective voting, retrospective voting, and rational choice. Uh, remember, rational choice is doing what you think is best for you. Okay, uh, retrospective voting is what has the parties or the people, the candidates, done in the past, and their perspective is what do you think they're going to do for you. Okay, so rational choice is doing what you think is best. Who's going to be the best choice for you personally? Retrospective, and I'm going out of order. Uh, retrospective voting, that's what I have. What have these people done in the past? Are they going to continue to do that? You know, hey, in the past, they did this for me. They, they lowered taxes, which I really liked. Are they going to do that again? And then prospective voting is, you know, well, I think they're going to do this. I, I think this, I believe that. Okay. Uh, number 26, the 24th Amendment effects. So the 24th Amendment. Remember, uh, this is the one that is going to get rid of the uh, poll taxes. Okay, so it's going to get rid of the poll taxes, uh, and it's going to, in theory, make it easier to vote for people. Okay, and it, you know, obviously, African Americans is what the poll taxes were geared towards. Uh, although it did hurt poor whites also, and that's why they have the grandfather clause and things like that. Uh, but the Twenty Fourth Amendment takes care of that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Number 27. Why is there more turnout in presidential elections than in midterm? Um, and this is a graph question on the test, and there's a couple of them uh, that comes from this. But the, the main thing, you know, most people just place more importance on the presidential elections. And they, you know, there's more media coverage of the presidential elections. Uh, most people, uh, I don't want to say they're brainwashed, but they just they view the presidential election. That's the most important thing. He's the one that gets stuff done. When in reality, who is it that gets stuff done? Well, it's our Congress, but they're the ones that make the, the rules and the laws and things like that uh, that are going to uh, affect us. All right, 28, Democratic ideologies versus Republican ideologies. There's a couple of questions about this 
uh, on the test. One of them is one of those table questions where you got the conservatives in one column, the liberals in the other column. And I'm watching my clock. Um, I only have 30 minutes. So I, I got to get uh, be sure I get done in that time frame. So if I go quick, I apologize. Uh, OK, so remember, Democrats, uh, they're going to be all about social spending. Um, social welfare, things like that. Uh, they're okay with more government intrusion, uh, government involvement, bigger government maybe. Republicans are going to be more about spending on uh, military and things like that. Uh, they are going to say, let's have less government, less government involvement. Okay. Those are some of the big things. Um, Republicans tend to be uh, pro-big business. Okay. Uh, Democrats, uh, are usually against that. They because remember one of the big things they want to do is they want to tax the wealthy, and, and that wealthy includes the the big businesses that are out there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Twenty nine. The balance of public safety and civil liberties. So our civil liberties, those are the things that we have that we hold dear uh, in the the first ten amendments. Okay. So your right to freedom of speech, freedom of press, the Fourth Amendment, your search and seizure, and things like that. And the question on here is about um, the balance between keeping us safe and violating some of our civil liberties, okay? So you go through the line at the airport, the TSA searches you, okay? Is it okay for them to search you uh, under the the guys that is going to keep us safe? Is that okay? So it's just a balance there. Um, and the, the question on the test is going to be a scenario type of question where they give you, uh, where I give you a, a scenario type thing and you have to decide uh, what's going on. All right, 30 libertarians. Remember, libertarians tend to want to be hands off, okay? Uh, government uh, just kind of let things, I don't want to say let things happen. Uh, they're not completely like that, but uh, they would you know, be okay with reducing the government involvement in almost every aspect of, of American life, okay? Uh, 31 conservatives versus liberals. We just kind of went over this with the Republicans versus Democrats. The same stuff happened, so I'm not going to go back over this question because, A, we just went over it, B, I'm running short on time. Uh, 32, Keynesian economic thoughts on the government. Remember, John Maynard Keynes was an, a British economist. His big belief was that the government needs to spend, especially when there are times uh, of trouble. Okay, so we think Great Depression, FDR coming in, all those government programs and the government spending. Uh, John Maynard Keynes would have been all over that. He would have loved it. He would have been a fanboy. Okay, uh, so that's what Keynesian economics means is the fact that when there's problems, when there's troubles, the government needs to step in and increase their spending, increase their government projects and things like that. All right. Last couple here, political socialization. One of the easiest things, I think uh, most people feel pretty comfortable with the political socialization. That is where you get your political beliefs and ideologies from. Usually it's going to come from your family members. Okay. Um, but it could also come from your peers, your friends, the school, religion, uh, any number of places. Okay. Um, so yeah, 34 public opinion polls. Uh, there's a couple of questions on polls uh, on the test. A um, couple of things to remember. They, they want to get random samples. Okay, that's the best way to complete a poll is through random polling. Because, you know, if you go and you talk to only Republicans, it's obviously going to be skewed. If you talk to only college educated uh, workers or whatever it might be, the, the results might be skewed. So they, they need to really get random samples. Uh, of their uh, of their who they're getting 
Okay. <laughs> I'm struggling right because I'm, I'm pressed for time. Um, the exit polls, exit polls, remember those are done as you leave. Uh, they're not to be trusted all the time because people do lie when they leave them. All right. So people do lie um, when they do them. But just if you know what an exit poll is, it's the, the randomly selected. I've never gotten, I've never done one. Okay. Um, and then 36. Well, there's a couple more things about polling that I want to talk about. Uh, there's ways to make things bias. Okay. By the way you ask questions, uh, you can create bias. Uh, and you can kind of get answers that you want by asking specific questions. So keep that in mind. Um, remember, we want to know the sample error. Okay. Remember, that's that plus or minus that we see. Uh, and it lets us know kind of how much we can trust this, this thing. Lastly, Articles of Confederation versus the Constitution on the test. You're going to have the articles on one column, the Constitution on the other. And uh, you got to pick the the correct pairing of the powers. Okay, um, so you know the articles had this, the U.S. Constitution had this. So um, the articles had no president if it was on there, and then the Constitution has a president. Um, the articles we said earlier has a single house legislature. The United States Constitution has a two-house legislature. So things like that, okay? Uh, you got to know kind of those, what the articles did or didn't have and what the U.S. Constitution does or doesn't have, all right? Okay, so there is that. Uh, so you didn't have to finish this in class. I just had to stamp it that you were working on it. If you want the bonus questions remember, or the bonus points, remember the bonus points are because there's no test corrections. Uh, if you kind of mess up and you miss two or three questions or something like that, but you've done the review and I've stamped it and all that kind of good stuff, then I can give you some points. Uh, to kind of make up for a few missed questions. Once again, I'm not going to give you, you know, oh, this person missed 40 questions. Let me just bump them up because they did the review. That's not how that's going to work. All right. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, we'll go over a few things in class. We'll play a game or two, and then we'll get ready to take this test on Wednesday. 5% of your grade. All right. Bye-bye.